0: Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kynos Project. I'm Dale. I am Tamara.
1: And we're here to help you tackle ancient Druze in everyday settings. And if our voices sound a little bit different, it's because we are in the brand new world headquarters of the Kynos Project podcast.
0: Yeah, I imagine we sound different. We sound sure. 30 miles It sounds miles like we've different. relocated.
1: Yeah. We have transferred the headquarters from beautiful downtown Corona, California to the historic Redlands, California. And this is where the podcast will stay for the foreseeable future.
0: That's what I'm told. And um, I really hope that's true because I told Silas, he asked me when we're moving next. And I said, no, we're going to live in Redlands forever. So I guess that means the world headquarters stays in Redlands forever too.
1: All right, well, I mean, you heard it here first. There you have it. Well, there has been a lot happening in the world uh, since we last podcasted, and we were out for a week or so because we were moving. Uh, but we're back, and um, stuff's been happening as it does online. And the Gospel Coalition is uh, yet again under fire for an article that was recently published. And this has been happening a lot lately to the Gospel Coalition. They've been taking some L's recently. Uh, first there was that weird, uh, sex as an icon for salvation thing that went on. We did, we did a whole episode on that article.
0: Yeah, that one was really weird. I still don't get it, but yep.
1: That was a strange thing. More recently, we haven't talked about this, um, and we probably don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but there was like this really corny, uh, article titled seven things Christians can learn from Taylor Swift's era tour. That was an I actual mean, article I wonder how many they, they
0: got. You know, that sounds like a a pretty easy like we're gonna get a lot of views on this one.
1: I mean, that was probably what they said in the meeting.
0: And it they got a lot of clicks, but people got mad.
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't even that there was anything necessarily like theologically in error. Right. In the article, it was just like really over the top, corny, and like at this the point, theological we're just metaphors about were like really yeah. stretched. Yeah. Um, so they got dragged on social media so badly that they took that article down like within a day. Uh, but we have linked to the archive, uh, web page in the show notes if you want to read up on that may. Uh, but this time the one that's getting dragged is Trevin Wax, which is a bummer because we like Trevin Wax, or at least I like him. I don't know if you like him, but I do.
0: Yeah. I have no issues with Trevin Wax and it's not even to say that we're here to talk about People we have issues with, so, right? I mean,
1: That's that is not, not the, the purpose goal of this here. We're podcast. talking about ideas. Um, but he recently said some controversial things about uh, why it is that people leave church, and the title of the article was "Prone to de-church Lord, I Feel It," which is a play on a line from the hymn "Come Thou Fount," which says "Prone to Wander, Lord, I Feel It."
0: It's creative. It's creative. It's yeah. a good
1: title. Um, and not to be overly simplistic in summarizing it, but a large part of the argument that Wax made is that people aren't leaving the evangelical church because of the myriad scandals they're in, but they're actually leaving just because, you know, they want to, because we are naturally sinful people who don't want to live into uh, the purpose that God has called us to live into, and the church scandals are just a really good excuse or scapegoat for us to create a permission structure to stop going to church and to walk away from it. So naturally, uh, people uh, have been enraged by that, and it set Twitter, X, whatever, ablaze and into a frenzy. And some people have um, made the critique or the argument that Wax's article, uh, it's just kind of another instance of gaslighting survivors of abuse and those who are genuinely fed up with scandals and hypocrisy and evangelicalism. And really the accusation being that instead of addressing the systemic injustices that exist within many of our evangelical institutions um, and the evangelical culture more broadly, uh, evangelicals have opted the strategy of circling the wagons. And I'm not necessarily accusing Wax of that, um, but that has been the main accusation against him in this controversy. So I thought we would talk about that on this episode of the podcast. In his article, Waxy alluded to some recent uh, statistical analysis uh, that kind of puts his comments in a different light and provides some important context for us to look at. But also at the same time, I want to explore and maybe question a little bit whether the article uh, was as respectful to this cultural moment in American evangelicalism as it maybe should have been. And then also, more generally, I want to talk about kind of the relationship between the individual Christian and the church um, and what that can and should look like and must look like uh, from a theological perspective. So that's what I want to talk about today, but we'll dive into all of that in just a moment. But look around you. Your family, your faith, they're not in the way. They are the way. From the creators of Jesus Revolution comes the incredible true story. It's
0: going to be dangerous and scary and giving up. It's not
1: an option. The story of one family's journey from down under to center stage. Unsung hero, a for-king-and-country film starring Candace cameron Bure and Terry O'Quinn. In theaters now. Visit unsunghero.movie to learn more. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org/impact. So, the Gospel Coalition recently published an article written by Trevin Wax, and it came under fire. And in that article, Wax he was addressing what has been dubbed the Great Dechurching of America. And there's actually a new book with that title that was written by Jim Davis. Uh, Michael Graham and Ryan Burge, and it's a research book. And what they looked at and what they found was that roughly 16% of Americans have stopped going to church in the last few years, which amounts to 40 million people. And so to put that in perspective, that is the largest and the fastest shift away from religion, and in particular, away from Christianity. In the history of America, there has never in our history been a time where this many people have been leaving church, both in terms of raw numbers and in terms of the proportion of the population. So that's significant. So the researchers, they dug into why that was, and what they found was honestly quite surprising to a lot of people, including me, because you'd think that it was because of all the church scandals, sexual abuse scandals, money scandals, every other kind of scandals you can think of, but that wasn't actually the biggest reason why uh, people de-churched. Um, I mean uh it would seem like it was because how many docu series do we need to watch before we understand that you know the church has some abuse issues, control issues racism issues, misogyny issues, uh any other number of different kinds of issues and to be sure there there was a a sizable contingent of the people who had dechurched um for those reasons because of abuse because of scandals but Far and away, the main reason, the largest reason, uh that people de churched was simply because they just kind of stopped going to church. Like the biggest reason, the single biggest reason, was that they moved. Like they moved from one city to another, and then they just never found a church. Or maybe their kids had sports on Sundays. Or maybe they were just busy and they started decided to start sleeping in on Sunday. But in any event, they left organized religion for the most like mundane of reasons. Basically, the main reason was it just kind of happened. We just kind of stopped going. And so in that context, Trevin Wax published this article uh, that was actually um, in the micro responding to an old video clip that had been circulating on social media. And in that clip, uh, John Piper, who's a, a theologian, he, he was, he's a retired pastor, he's an author, Uh, he was kind of discussing the issue of people walking away from church, and he made the argument that if you walk away from the church, you are walking away from Jesus. And so Wax, he wrote largely in agreement with that sentiment. And so here's a couple of the quotes uh, from that article. We'll link to the whole article, but I wanted to pull out some of the quotes that people found to be the most inflammatory. So in the article, Wax writes, Dechurching doesn't just happen to us as if we have no moral agency. Thinking you can pursue the Christian life on your own apart from the local body of believers isn't only wrong-headed, it's wrong. It's disobedience to King Jesus. By removing the moral frame of dechurching, we do a disservice to believers who need to be wooed back into community. Later down, he says, quote, Most of us haven't borne the brunt of church scandals, at least not personally, which means if we rely on these stories as the reason for our churchlessness, it's likely that we were searching for the slightest justification to do what we wanted to do in the first place. A little bit further down, he says, We think that people are leaving the church today because of all the church scandals, but it's possible we hear more about church scandals today because people seek to justify their decision to leave. End quote. And this is kind of coming in the context of uh, this boom of deconstruction. And ever since the beginning of this kind of deconstruction, ex-evangelical fad, if you want to call it that, uh, we have seen this argument made by stalwart evangelicals. And Wax, he's more reserved here, but he's kind of uh, in alignment with a lot of the evangelical establishment in its response to kind of the deconstruction movement. And you know, subsequent de-churching and stuff like that. Um, but there have been others over the past number of years who have been, you know, consistent and vocal, and sometimes <laughs> bordering on profane in making this argument. You know, whether they're Christian authors, theologians, pastors uh, that have said that you know the only reason uh, that people deconstruct their faith is because they wanted to change, say, their sexual ethics, like whether they, they're gay or they want to be polyamorous or they're trans. Uh, Basically, what the argument is, is that they're leading with uh, whatever they want to do ethically or affirm ethically, and then finding a theological justification on the back end of that. And there's no real legitimate reason for them to deconstruct their theology or their experience in the evangelical church. It's just that they wanted to be degenerate sinners, and so then they needed to come up with an excuse, and so that's why we have so many docuseries about Hillsong and, you know, shiny happy people and all those kinds of things because they're finding they're trying to find a, a back end justification for that and kind of in response to that many people who have deconstructed or deconverted have said uh it feels like you're not really listening to us when we say that the abuse is systemic the hypocrisy is systemic these issues are real and you're not listening to us and that's really frustrating because that's the whole reason why we left in the first place And so that's been the back and forth over the past number of years, and everybody seems to be shouting past each other in uh, this kind of back and forth. However, given what we know about the actual stats of why people leave the church, does Trevin Wax have a point? Like, is there a place for a rebuke of the sort of casual and loose commitment people tend to have to the embodied church and um, in particular uh, those who, who aren't leaving because of a scandal.
0: So I think about this article and the response to the article um, kind of in the way that we see just about every controversy, whether it's within the Christian church or not that everyone has to take sides and we can never view it in between. There can never be any like nuance or um, gray area. Like it has to be one or the other. And this is another one of those situations that yet again, it's not that simple. Um, You have both aspects of why people are leaving church. Um, Overwhelmingly, based on the stats and the research that's have been that been happening that Trevin Wax is talking about, people are saying, I'm leaving because I just kind of stopped going. Like, I, I wasn't intentionally leaving. I didn't really have a reason to leave, but I just kind of stopped going. Um, and then you have others who they have been abused by the church, and that is real, and they've had to walk through that. Um, And the number of cases is large. Like we've read about the number of cases is massive. Uh, And so even to discredit and say, well, that's only like a handful of people. um, I don't think that's fair either. I think we have to be able to sit within the tension of there are multiple reasons why people are leaving church right now. It's not just one reason. And depending on, like where you want to be in this conversation. You might want to only say it's because of the, the many number of abuses that are happening that have been reported, that have had, yeah, docu-series written about them, that have had podcasts written about them. Uh, so those are real, and by no means do I think those should be discredited or they should be pushed to the side. But there is also this aspect that there are people who are leaving the church that maybe they're not even aware of the abuses because they're not that deeply entrenched within the church anyways, right? Like they, they're they not even mindful of those deeper layers within because they haven't been going and they just kind of stopped going for whatever reason. So I think um, the language has to be... Like thought through and intentional about how we talk about it, but um, the research is what it is and people are reporting the reason they left is because they just stopped going. So there is truth in that. It's not as if Trevin Wax is just making something up um, and just saying people are leaving because they want to. Um, like the research shows that is true, uh, but we have to still hold intention that there is um, some very real issues within the church that have come to the surface and have been brought into the light that need to be dealt with. Um, but with that in mind, like, Trevin Wax is right. Like, people shouldn't just be leaving the church just because they decided they just no longer want to go.
1: Yeah. I guess my question is, do you think the best approach to addressing that problem, which is widespread, so even if we're saying, okay, we're setting aside, yes, there's the abuse issue, but we're not speaking to those people right now. We're speaking to this other large group of people who have just casually left. Um, do you necessarily think the kind of a stern rebuke of that is necessarily the best tack?
0: Well, no, because that doesn't... like people aren't going to come back because you've rebuked them. I think having the conversation and like bringing it into the forefront of um, what's happening within the church, I think it's an element of why people are leaving the church. Uh, And so it's a conversation that needs to be had in terms of like rebuking those people. I don't see the benefit of that because if they left casually, they probably don't really care that someone within the church is rebuking them because they don't hold the church that highly in the first place.
1: Yeah, it kind of seems to me, and the other interesting thing about some of the statistics was that the people who had like casually de-churched, a lot of them actually had pretty orthodox theology, like they know who Jesus is, they know uh, what the gospel is, uh, they know the means of salvation, um, they just kind of stopped going to church, um, and I just kind of question whether um you know, one Christian leader speaking to other Christian leaders, the best approach to addressing that is to say, like, man, look at these sheep that are not doing what they should be doing, you know, one shepherd talking to another saying the sheep, these sheep are the worst, like these are they are not doing what we know that they should be doing, um instead of maybe looking into and questioning and reflecting on what is it about how we're like quote unquote doing church that is so failing to be compelling to people who otherwise are generally on board with the Christian faith? Like how have we discipled them in a way that has discipled them right out of the church? If that makes sense, because you're, you're going to get the result that you have structured your organization to get. Like you're getting the, the results that, that, are natural to uh, what you have established and the way that you are shaping people and the way that the evangelical church has shaped people apparently leads them to not have a very strong commitment to the church. And so what is it about that is my question that we are doing as church leaders or as church institutions that is not in engendering a, uh, a biblical mindset of commitment to a local body of believers and instead is kind of um, creating this kind of consumeristic a la carte view of the Christian faith where church is not necessarily a, a key aspect of that.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's both. And I don't think the responsibility is solely on the leaders within the church. There is an aspect where, us as the body of Christ, like we have some sense of responsibility in this too. And I think that's kind of the uh, um, perpetuating cycle that we're living in where church is viewed as like something you, you show up and you consume and you don't actually have to take part in it. So from the people sitting in the pews, they view it that way. And then the leadership team has to be mindful of how they're structuring things and how they're communicating things as well, because they might be reiterating that in some way, whether it's intentional or not. Um, But I do think responsibility lies on both ends. Um, It's not just the responsibility of the leadership within the church to create some compelling way of doing church. Like We also have to know that uh, it's not just How compelling can we be in within the cultural context? Like we also have to lean into the work of the Holy Spirit and knowing that um, the church is flawed. Like that's just the reality and has been for all of history until like Christ returns again. Um, But to just completely give up on church or to say like, we're not doing it right. So I'm just going to go be with myself and my faith in Jesus because that's all I really need. Like that is not fully understanding scripture and the fact that the church is called the body of Christ. Like so, you're you're disconnecting Christ. He's the head and the body, and like so, you just have a head. Like the body of Christ is is meant to be connected to Christ, and so as a person of faith, you have to be connected to the church in order to fully um, experience and have the the full weight of um, of Christ's glory in our life and the for us to really flourish in those aspects is you have to be connected to a church. Like you can't separate the church from Jesus. It just doesn't work that way.
1: Right. I mean, I understand that. And I understand that there's moral culpability uh, for people who uh, say they follow Jesus but have such an inadequate um, commitment to... Some expression of the local body of believers, but just I guess just to give a metaphor, like let's say like one of our kids is having like a behavioral issue, I mean there's a couple of options you have as a parent. when well, you say like, "Wow, I just have a bad kid like wow, this like I'm just it, torn up over the fact that my kid is a bad kid and he, and he does all of these things that he shouldn't, and he's morally responsible for those things uh, but the probably the better thing to do would be like, what am I doing as a parent?" that is leading to these outcomes that he's morally responsible for, but I am helping to shape the environment that is making that the option or the approach to take. What I I think I'm uh, witnessing and kind of seeing in a lot of these kind of thought leadership spaces is a lack of self-reflection on how have we let the people down in, in, in creating these outcomes rather than, you know, like... Rather than just like, you know, all my life, I've heard, you know, pastors talk about like, you know, sports are the agent of the enemy, youth sports, they those are an agent of the devil who are stealing all our people from us. And it's like, well, what are you doing that is like creating a structure in which A, church equals Sunday morning service. And that, like, if you, like, that's it. Um, and, and B, to where, um, like this is just happening. Like there's just like, there's not a culture of deep commitment to the body of believers, um, not only on Sunday, but throughout the week. And, um, what I would like to see is a little bit more, uh, reflection on our own structures and the way that we perceive of church as, uh, songs and sermons mostly. And then like the other stuff is in there too. um, which is an adequate model of what the church is, I think. And I just don't see a lot of rethinking of that and more just a browbeating that people aren't blindly accepting that and committing their lives to it, even though it's honestly not that compelling.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's both and though. I I I understand what you're saying about like articles like this calling the person who's left church to um like self-reflect and self-analyze but then the church that they left is not having to do that equally uh so i think both sides have to uh, take a step back and, and think through it like both sides have a sense of responsibility um but i also think there is like truth in the fact that we are prone to wander away from Jesus. Now, does that mean leaders within the church have to like beat you over the head with that? No. Instead, it's like, how do we continue to show you Christ and also like disciple you in a way that gives you um, like reasons to continue to choose Jesus? Um, and, I mean, a large part of that is just the working of the Holy Spirit. Like, it's not any one person who's just going to persuade you to keep choosing Jesus, right? Uh, There has to be, like, some work that's done in your own heart. But I do think uh, leadership of the church has to be thinking about that for um, their congregation in general.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we can agree that um, it's a failure on both sides, I think. Yeah. It's a failure of well, and it's, people it's, who have say they committed themselves to Jesus, but have not committed themselves to the people of Jesus. Right. And then I think it's also um, a fault of Christian leaders. Mm-hmm. And in this case, a Christian leader talking to other Christian leaders, not yeah. being self-reflective because who's reading this article? It's not the people who left church. Well, that's It's the I'm other saying, Christian leaders who are bemoaning that other people are at soccer instead of at service on Sunday. And so... Yeah. And
0: that's not helpful. If anything, it only like makes you feel better, I guess that they that it's not you, it's them, like um, it's their own like disobedience, and it's not you and any of your leadership, so yeah, I agree uh in in that regard, like is this the most effective way, no, but um, is there like truth within what's been written there is um I had another thought before you said what you just said, oh, it was about um. People leaving church and uh, the leaders like looking around and thinking like, why is everyone gone? It must surely be that they just aren't like dedicated believers, right? And <clears throat> the more that I think about just our culture in general, this is some kind of a hurdle that we have to think about when it comes to the faith is uh, our culture, I don't think, has a high level of commitment to anything. It kind of is like, if right. this isn't working for me anymore, then I can always leave.
1: Like, mm-hmm. I don't
0: have any sense of uh, accountability or commitment or obligation to anything because if it's not working, then I'm out. Like, we—that is the case within marriage. That's like the case with jobs. Like, that's the case with just about every decision that we're making. Is there's always an opportunity to just walk away if it's not working for you and not even like if it's harming you, it's like, mm, I just don't like it anymore. Like mm-hmm. it's it's kind of just like casual. And so the stats of people leaving church for that very reason is actually not that surprising right. because that's the way that we view just about everything in life is um if I just don't like it anymore, like I just don't have to do it. Um, But I think that's a hurdle that the church has to kind of think through is how do we address that within the context of the culture that we're trying to minister in? And how do we teach about the truths that know like staying committed to Jesus, even though it's hard, even though it's going to uh like have dark seasons, like Christ is always going to be with you. And I promise like it's worth staying through it all. Um and not just leaving because you just don't like it anymore or it's just not working for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, and uh, it it's so true that we live in an age of infinite options. Uh, yeah. Whereas gone are the days where you had there five television stations. There was nothing else to do stations. on Sunday anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and now you have infinite yeah. streaming services with mm-hmm. no commercials. Uh, gone are the days where you have to... Uh find someone to date like within the proximity of the people that you see in community now there's like dating apps and you know obviously there's challenges that come with that, but there's like the there's like the infinite possibilities of things you could be doing with remote workers, like you could change jobs and not even leave your house. You could have three different jobs and still the same office at your your house and so uh we just yeah, we do live in a world of infinite options, and when we have infinite options it's in in a very kind of consumeristic, capitalistic society, uh, that's a unique challenge that uh, church leaders need to think intentionally about um, because uh, a lot of times churches, whether they're presenting themselves this way or they're not presenting themselves this way, are still viewed as kind of like spiritual goods and services. Right. And so it's it's tough to swim upstream Mm -hmm. from that, even if you're being really intentional about it. So that is a unique challenge that I think is important to bring to bear um, in that there is no easy like like if you were just better like it would fix this like right. I think on either like side it's a change, very complex problem yeah
0: how do you change all of culture because it's it's a mindset it's a worldview it's a it's an operating philosophy that you literally live out every single day um, and so how does the church come in and to what degree is it the the job of the leaders to really try and like convince. <laughs> People within the church like don't live this way. I think that's where uh, being aware of the culture in which you're ministering in is critical because if you're even just in the context of preaching, like if you're preaching to uh, a group of people, but you have um, like somebody else's sermon that worked in another part of the world, like that's not going to work in the place you're preaching. Like you not have for to-
1: lack of trying though on the <laughs> part of a lot of preachers. <laughs> right.
0: But you know what I mean like you have to actually be aware of who is in your congregation like what who are the people the the flock that you are are called to shepherd like you would need to know them, you need to actually know what's happening within their lives, and so when it comes to even thinking about how to minister to them, um knowing them is key, and to some degree though, like you really have to um even give that piece of it to the Lord and like, Lord, use me in this. Like I'm doing the best I can. I'm thinking through this the best I can. But at the end of the day, like it's not um, a pastor who's going to change the heart of somebody.
1: Right. Yeah. I want to circle back around to the abuse and scandal aspect of this, particularly with regard uh, to the author of this article, Trevin Wax, and kind of the institutional uh, context he's coming from and writing from. Uh, but we'll dive into that in just a moment. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth.
0: Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410.
1: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So uh, Trevin Wax's critics, they've been quick to point out uh, that he has a very specific institutional context when he's writing about people leaving the institution of the church. So uh, he works for the North American Mission Board, which is a Southern Baptist institution. He used to work for Lifeway, which is another SBC institution. He has been a Southern Baptist pastor at a couple of different churches, and he has two degrees from SBC institutions. In other words, he's pretty entrenched in SBC life. And as we know the SBC is currently going through a historic abuse scandal that involves the revelation that they mishandled sexual abuse allegations uh, for at least two decades. And from that context, he's saying, people are talking a lot about scandals, but really I think maybe they're using that as an excuse because they wanted to leave the church anyways. Given that kind of historic institutional context, do you think perhaps the the tact that was taken in this article was out of pocket
0: uh i mean probably to <laughs> to have just a blank blanket statement of uh people are using sex sandals as an excuse to just leave the church i think even if really, it's statistically supported in some yeah, sense
1: it's, it's untrue enough it's the it's untrue in a statistically significant enough way to probably be out of pocket, right?
0: Right. And just thinking about like those who have been like survivors of sex scandals, right? Of sexual abuse within the church to uh, just so casually say like people are just trying to use this as whatever reason. But then you have very real people with stories and faces that have experienced this and that's why they've left. Like I can't even... Imagine the wrestling they are doing with their own faith when they were abused by the church.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think specifically in the SBC also, it's been like decades of like SBC leadership being like nothing to see here, nothing to see here. I don't know why you're causing all these problems, trying to be an activist in our denomination. Stop the Great Commission with all of your complaints about something that happened 10 years ago. Like that's been kind of the... The company line for so long and only after decades of fighting, 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 there has been slow forward progress right. on reforms.
0: Yeah, I think um, there just was a different way to say it. And um, yeah, I mean, unless he's living under a rock and is completely unaware, but it, it I don't imagine that's the case considering who he is and what he's involved in. I think there was just a better way to phrase it, even though there was truth in it. Um, I think it just did a a disservice to get his point across to somebody who has been affected um, by these very real, like, sexual abuse cases or someone who is, like, that's their perception of the church in general. Um, I don't think he made any, like, I don't think he gained any ground... By by saying it the way that it was said.
1: Yeah, and I don't want to portray him as someone who's wholly unsympathetic to the reforms within the SBC, because I don't believe that's true of him personally. I just think in this particular argument, um that was not that was better. not taken yeah. into uh, yeah. consideration. Yeah. Yeah, so I think definitely there there there's a point to be made there. I think also within just the broader conversation of evangelicalism and uh control abuse Uh, sexual abuse but spiritual abuse as well all of these things i think um you can't have a conversation about this without at least acknowledging the legitimacy of a large contingency of people leaving the church on those grounds and i say that as someone who has experienced spiritual abuse and is still in the church and i get it i get why people would walk away it makes total sense to me um And so I think there's maybe a level of empathy that we need to carry with us in this cultural moment. Uh, Even, as we said, there's a larger contingency of people for whom that was not the case, that that was not the reason why they left. Uh, There's a large enough group that that is the reason why they left. And many of them were among the most committed before that happened. Um, I think we just need to take extra stock of that and to carry the weight of that with us. Right. whenever we we step into this conversation.
0: Mm. Yeah. I think that's fair.
1: I want to kind of zoom out. So we're talking about like the church and being committed to the church. Um but like here's like a, a basic fundamental question that maybe is difficult to answer. Uh but what is the church? What constitutes a church and what does it mean to be a part of a church?
0: It's funny because you're like, it's such a simple question, but mm, people don't always agree on exactly how to answer that. Yeah. So, I mean, just in as simple as I can describe it, the church is the gathering of a, a group of people who um, are following Christ and pursuing to be more like him in their life. And within that group of believers, everyone's like on a different part of that spectrum, right? Like you could be a new believer who just came to faith or you can have somebody who is a mature believer. But it's the gathering of a group of believers um, who are intentionally trying to seek and follow after Christ. Mm -hmm. It's that symbol. Now, once you think about it from an organizational perspective, like that's different. Um, but in terms of like the most simplest definition, that's what it is.
1: Yeah. I think even in the most simplest definition of it, I think there are some key ingredients that need to be present that for me, that then I would qualify it as a church, even if it's not a 501c3 organization, I think there are still some elements that need to be present for it to be a, a church congregation rather than just a group of friends who hang out who happen to be Christian. Right. No, I think ha- yeah, good. A couple of those things have to be um the teaching of the word. Um I think worship is a key aspect of that. I think uh leadership and uh, particularly a plurality of leadership is necessary. Uh whenever Paul established a church, he established elders, plural. Um I think there needs to be the ordinances. You have to be taking the Lord's Supper together and baptizing people, which means there's also evangelism. I think that's an essential aspect. Mission. Um I think you can do that with a ragtag group of people who never incorporated into a 501c3. Um and you can also do that uh as a mega organization with thousands of people working Mm. in tandem together under one organizational umbrella. Uh, So I think there's a a diversity that can exist in that. But I think if we are thinking creatively about like, what could church look like other than the 501c3? I think there are still key elements you need to be um, gathering as the body of Christ uh, in a way that, you were actually expressing the the kind of life that Jesus meant for the church to have.
0: Yeah, I mean, what you just described is what we see happening in Acts, which right. is all about the birth of the church. Yeah, and none of yeah. those
1: donations were tax-deductible.
0: Right. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, so I think those are essential <laughs> elements. So that's more than just like me and my four friends are going to... Get together and read the Bible, and that's our church.
0: That's right. a small group, yeah. you know, that's, that's but like that's not Bible necessarily a church. It's not an actual church, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And so, I would encourage that those people still need to be a part of a church, whether it's a house church network that has leadership and the uh, ordinances and mission and discipleship, uh, or it's you know your local church down the street that has a building.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. I understand your clarification now, because there are probably a lot of people who think, um, "Well, this qualifies as church because I'm meeting with my friends and uh, you know we're reading the Bible, we have a Bible study, and let's just be a church."
1: Yeah, that, that's church to are, me. Like yeah. you can't just define it any any old way necessarily and think like, "Oh, I haven't de-churched because me and my three friends have coffee and we talk about the Bible sometimes."
0: Right, and that's church that's to me. Not... You don't get to
1: kind of redefine it. I mean, you can do that, but like. That's not it. You you should use a different word for that.
0: Right, you should call that a Bible study. Right. You should call, Yeah, that's what. It's always happening at a coffee shop. Right. Bible studies.
1: Yeah. Um as we think about people who have been spiritually abused or have been party to scandals uh within the church. What do you think are some ways that we can hold space for their need for healing? Or maybe if you, for your own need for healing, while also still holding the institution of the church in high regard. And again, when I say the institution of the church, I'm talking about the organism and not necessarily the 501c3 organization. How can we hold space for the need for healing from toxic church situations while also holding the church as Jesus has defined it in high regard?
0: Yeah, so um, the church has never been problem-free. Um, you even read some of the letters that Paul was writing, and he was like calling out the issues within the church. Um,
1: they had some bad ones, too. They had
0: some, yeah. <laughs>
1: Just read 1 Corinthians. I, Good I, grief.
0: That, that's what I was thinking of off the top of my and so much so that he had to write them another letter, uh because like the problems were still so massive within the church um
1: can you imagine like yeah getting to the new creation and you're like yeah in the authoritative texts to the Christian church that i was the one who was was in that that paul was calling out specifically because i was sleeping with my father's wife or something <laughs> like that like like hopefully he's in heaven um but if he is, I mean he's he's going to have to wear that one, you know what I mean?
0: I mean, yeah, well when you put it that way. Yeah. I I wouldn't want to be that person. So glad it's not me. Uh yeah, but back to your question <laughs> before you Sorry, sent, I derailed you this. You sent us on a a wild tangent. Um yeah, so holding the church in high regard is also understanding that it's never going to be flawless and it's never going to be perfect. Um, but as you talk about holding space, I think from a like intentional uh, perspective of the leadership is constantly being mindful of the fact that there are very likely people within your congregation that have been hurt by the church, um, and maybe the abuse isn't in the terms of sexual abuse, but that that's not the only kind of abuse that exists within the church that is still. Um, harmful and painful and degrading to somebody and devaluing somebody. Uh, so it's it's important to not just say, well, like, there's no sexual abuse in our church, so we're clear.
1: And you don't even have to, even from a spiritual abuse standpoint, rise to the level of abuse right. to inflict serious harm, particularly if someone's coming from a, a, a vulnerable place. Right. You can just act in ways that are harmful even yeah. if they weren't necessarily controlling or abusive, mm-hmm. you can inflict spiritual harm. Right. And so, yeah, so you say like, oh, and I know you're kind of touching on this right now, but like the whole like, oh, nobody's perfect. Like that kind of feels dismissive sometimes mm. when it I get is just saying. like, it's been said so much. We're like, nobody's perfect. And like, there's this giant like scandal of, of sexual abuse that you're standing in front of. Um, well, no, that, because but, that's been happened so but I much. Think that... in,
0: but that's not even where I was going. Was it like nobody's perfect? Like you should just kind of like suck it up. It's that uh, if from a leadership perspective, like the idea that your church is going to be perfect is, is unattainable. But that doesn't give reason to not be mindful of the pain and abuse that has happened. And yeah, it's coming to light in a way now. That is very current to our culture, but abuse within any kind of, um, organization that has authority and leadership, like that's, that's what happens, right? Like it's not new. Um, but as leaders of the church, I think there has to be intentionality of even addressing like, Hey, I'm like, I'm sorry if you've been hurt by the church. Um, and we want to be a place of healing for you. Um, and so a lot of what comes alongside that is um, being willing to be vulnerable from a leadership perspective and uh, welcoming a sense of vulnerability to like the church members, as well as um, just understanding that everyone's coming from a different place and um, and so the way that somebody's going to interact with the church might be slightly different because of hurt and pain they've had. And so the idea of how do we come alongside and like walk through that healing process is different than just like, well, this is a new church to so, like get over it. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. even just addressing it from whether that's from like the pulpit on a Sunday morning or in announcements or in like groups or in whatever context the church is. Um, holding some kind of a leadership role, I think the leadership team has to just constantly be mindful of the fact that there are very likely people within your, your congregation that you're talking to that have suffered some kind of abuse or trauma or pain or hurt, um, whether it was direct or indirect.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think from the side of the person who has been abused or scandalized, in a church context. Now, you know what abusive leadership patterns look like, but you can also um, be so wounded by that, that there are triggers of that to where there, there are actually other trustworthy, Jesus fearing, non evil people who are leading churches. They do exist. And, and, Um, they're obviously not perfect, uh, but they can, uh, maybe be on the path of their own growth in maturity, spiritual maturity, leadership, maturity, uh, empathy, all of those things, awareness of just all of, you know, the context that they're stepping into and doing that imperfectly, but they're still good, trustworthy, godly leaders. Um, but they maybe do things or say things that can, trigger someone who has been abused so I think as the person who's been abused and come from that as part of your own healing process is learning to um step not only to step into healing but also to discern like what this person is doing is actually going down the path of an abusive pattern or I'm being triggered by something that's not abuse but makes me Feel the same way as when I was abused, and kind of working through that, and being really transparent, and hopefully, uh, the leader that it, you know is leading you, the pastor, the elder, whoever it is, is also coming to you in humility, and you can work together through that. Yeah. I think that's what it looks like to to hold space for that. Is that I'm coming in, uh, assuming the best, knowing what the worst looks like. And that this other person is doing their best to serve me while also knowing, like, yep, there's some stuff I didn't know that triggers, you know, you and your experiences and all those kind of things. So I think coming at it from that relational place and, um, yeah, really just being careful to only uh, give as much uh, trust as has uh, been earned, which may take a long time, um, but I think fighting towards that process is – is what it looks like to hold space and not assuming that like, okay, we turned the page and now we're back to where we were. You know what I mean?
0: Right, yeah. And and not giving up on the church because I think um, the scripture is clear that this is like how God designed his people to exist um, within the context of community as believers is that it's actually through the church that God is going to do his work. Right. And that is on like a, you know, large scale global like perspective of it's through the advancement of the church through the church, like going out and actually like being Jesus uh, that others are going to see him. But even in an individualistic context, um, it, it very well might be that. Uh, even if you were hurt or abused by the church, the Lord will likely use a different church to be the one that brings about healing
1: and in will your life. use you in that different church right. to bring about healing for yeah. others
0: yeah so it's like it's the beauty of the way that God works in spite of our sin and in spite of our flaws is that he he designed the church to be something good um and he designed it to be um A reflection of who he is, even if it often doesn't look that way, but that he's going to work through the faithful believers in that, in that situation to actually bring about like his goodness and his healing and blessing in your life. And even, you know, like I said, on a larger scale, like it's not all just about like your individualistic, um, blessings, but, uh, just the way that the word, the Lord works is, is often, um, where we least expect it sometimes.
1: Right. Yeah. And not only to create a redemptive arc in your life, but to create a redemptive community that is marching on towards the vision of what Jesus Mm -hmm. uh, came to restore, which is God's uh, original vision for a flourishing humanity that is created in his image and carrying out his will in the world.
0: Yeah. And he's he does that through people. Like that's the extension of him right is he he works it out through others it's it's very rare that i've seen anybody heal um that no one else played a part in that Mm -hmm. like that no one else had a role in that healing it was just like some miraculous thing between them and jesus and um they were fully healed of those things and no one else was involved
1: yeah yeah so there's no denying the fact that In many times and in many ways, the church has been downright toxic and abusive. And yet, the church is the place where Jesus has made his spirit to dwell. Like, when you think about this, we tend to think about, like, the body of every believer. You say, oh, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's true. But when Paul's uh, using that language in the New Testament, in, like, a more truer sense, what he's trying to convey is that the body of believers— is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not just that I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, it's that like we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so reconciling that fact with the abuses and the failures of the institutional structures, that's not easy. It's not simple. Um, but if we have a high regard for Jesus and his word, then we have to continue to have a high commitment to his church, and that doesn't mean that we, uh, we can't speak critically of the church. Uh, in fact, in 1 Peter, he says that judgment begins with the house of God. Uh, but in many senses, that call needs to be coming from within the house, um, that we are working this out together. And even more than pointing out what's wrong, maybe it's the calling that God has placed upon our lives to be a part of implementing a vision of something better.